With the Seahawks trying to replace Russell Wilson, a new name has emerged as the potential starter for the Seahawks under center in 2022. Rob and I will be breaking down the latest rumors and much more on our latest episode of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. It is 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Black Dawn Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co host from Prime, Rob Rang. Happy Thursday to all of our listeners. The Seahawks still need a quarterback. We got to hear from John Schneider and Pete Carroll yesterday. They had some rolling reviews from Drew Locke, but of course, they left the door open for the team to explores to other quarterback opportunities and a new name emerged today as a possibility to be Seattle starter in 2022. We're going to be breaking that down. Let's take a look at Seattle's remaining free agents. Which ones are the greatest priority to re-sign? And we'll be grading out the three signings that were made on the first official day of free agency. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. The Seahawks currently only have Drew Locke and Jacob Eason on the depth chart at quarterback after trading Russell Wilson. That deal becoming official yesterday. He had his introductory press conference with the media in Denver. He's officially a Bronco. That leaves the Seahawks with some huge question marks at quarterback. John Schneider and Pete Carroll offered plenty of praise for Drew Locke as expected, a player that they like coming out of Missouri. They watched him closely at the Senior Bowl. They both talked about his rookie season going four and one as a starter. Disappointing production the last two years. Things just didn't work out. But it sounds like there may be some genuine interest in him being the guy. But at the same time, Rob, you and I both know when you have a quarterback issue, when you're in quarterback purgatory and certain names pop up, first round picks, former first round picks that may be available, those players are going to draw some attention. And according to Josina Anderson of CBS Sports, the Seahawks have inquired about Baker Mayfield and what a messy situation the Cleveland Browns find themselves in now. They were trying to get Deshaun Watson, had a discussion with the Texans quarterback. They met with him. And then today, reports come out that they are no longer in the running for his services. So now you got to go back to Baker Mayfield. Well, the former Oklahoma star doesn't necessarily sound enthused about that idea and says that they need to part ways. It's in the best mutual interest of both parties. He's requested a trade. The Browns aren't going to adhere to that request, at least based on reports. So this is a messy situation the Seahawks are looking into. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, as you said, I mean, now that the Seahawks are a team that uh, that apparently does not have a franchise quarterback. I mean, maybe Drew Locke proves to be exactly that, but I think you can expect Seattle to basically exhaust all opportunities to look at other talented quarterbacks that are available. I mean, that's why they expressed at least some interest um, in Deshaun Watson. I would expect that they would show some interest in Matt Ryan if Atlanta decided to trade him. Um, and I think that, again, with the Cleveland Browns, I mean, we have a quarterback in Baker Mayfield who had the success that he did at the collegiate and NFL levels is a guy who, um, of course, is playing in Cleveland and they like to run the football there. 
Um, he is a rah-rah guy, a dual threat guy. There's a lot of comparisons uh, to be made between he and Russell Wilson. So, yeah, I would expect Seattle to, um, you know, to be knocking on, on Cleveland's door and seeing if the Browns are, have created such a mess for themselves that they have to get rid of the former number one overall selection for basically nickels on the dollar. Um, and, and so, again, I, I do think that this is something that, that has some legs to it, that, that Seattle is going to be exploring this option. And uh, while I am a fan of Drew Locke's natural talent, at the same time, Baker Mayfield has had greater success in the NFL. And so I do think that Seattle is going to be exhausting any and all opportunities to find themselves a franchise quarterback and compete immediately. This is one of those really difficult situations if you're a general manager and this is what you have to deal with when you don't have – a veteran franchise quarterback like they have had for the last nine, 10 years with Russell Wilson under center. The Seahawks have had stability there that a lot of teams wish they could have had at the quarterback position. When you don't have that stability, you don't have a perennial Pro Bowl quarterback on your roster. It puts you in this no man's land. And this is the way that I'm looking at this. And I'm sure you may agree or maybe you disagree with me, but Baker Mayfield He's going to be in his fifth season. His salary for this next year, he's going to be on the fifth-year option that the Browns picked up. It's going to be almost $19 million that the Seahawks would be on the tab for. That's an expensive price tag for a guy that had a disappointing 2021 season. Granted, he was dealing with a left shoulder injury that required surgery after the year ended, but he did not play well. The Browns missed the playoffs after a really good 2020 season in which they pushed the Kansas City Chiefs in the postseason, had a chance to win that game. Mayfield had 26 touchdowns compared to eight picks. So we have seen him at his best. The Seahawks would love to have a quarterback with 26 touchdowns and eight interceptions. If they're running the football well and they're playing great defense, that's more than enough to win with the way that Pete Carroll wants to play football. The problem has been that that was the only year that we've seen Mayfield play like that. He had 21 interceptions in 2019. Pete Carroll couldn't be looking at that and saying, that's my quarterback. You know how much he cherishes holding on to the football, protecting the football. He mentioned about 50 times in yesterday's press conference. So there are some red flags here. This is not a player that I would be trading first or second round picks to get. Now, if the Browns are willing to take a third rounder because that's all the leverage they have with his cost, he's got one year left on his deal. If they'll take a third rounder, then if I'm John Schneider, I'm looking into that because I could recoup that pick, potentially trading down either in the first round or trading down with one of my two second round picks. I can get a third round pick right back, and I'm getting a guy that's only going to be 27 next month that I believe still has a lot of upside. And I know the Browns made the playoffs two years ago, but this is still the Cleveland Browns. They continue to find ways to mess things up. A change of scenery could be a big deal for Baker Mayfield. So I'm not saying I'm against this. I'm not paying top price to bring him in because I'm not sure that he's your long-term answer. But for a third-round pick, he's absolutely an upgrade over what the Seahawks have. And you still have the possibility with a new scheme, a new change of scenery, that Baker Mayfield can still be a really good starting quarterback in the league for a long time. Yeah, no, I, I I absolutely believe that. I think it would cost more than a third round pick. I think that you might be shipping Drew Locke all over again out, out the door um, because Cleveland is going to be expecting a, a a quarterback as part of the deal. Um, you know, but I, I I guess I am a little bit higher on on Baker Mayfield than than you might be. 
Um, I would basically argue that one of the reasons why that, uh, that he had the disappointing season last year is the Cleveland Browns as a whole, their entire offense um, kind of struggled with, with injuries. Um, of course, that's one of the reasons why Odell Beckham got, got shown the door himself. The, the Cleveland Browns just don't have the skill position talent with the exception of the running back position where they're absolutely loaded. Um, but they, you know, Jarvis Landry is a, is a solid receiver. Don't get me wrong, but he's not DK Metcalf. He's not Tyler Lockett. Uh, same thing at the tight end position. They've got some athletes there. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that they've got a guy who can, you know, really take over a game the way that I think that Noah Fant is about to do um, in Seattle. I really think that if you get any type of reliable quarterback play, um, then the Seahawks offense, I think, is going to surprise some people this year. Corey. But I think that the offensive line is going to perform much better than a lot of people think because they're not going to have to worry about a quarterback like Russell Wilson, who is as difficult to block as he is. I think the Denver Broncos are going to find out that, that is a much more challenging thing to do. I would expect Seattle's sacks allowed to drop and Denver's sacks allowed to jump up. And that's the one of the things that I do have some reservations about Baker Mayfield is that if Seattle is concerned about the fact that Russell Wilson became a little bit of a headache to deal with, well, that's exactly what Baker Mayfield has been for Cleveland uh, and previously at the collegiate level as well. And so that is something that can be concerned about. And the fact that the Cleveland Browns do have a very good offensive line. So maybe Baker Mayfield comes to Seattle and struggles a little bit because he doesn't have, you know, the elite front, uh, you know, uh, pr protecting him that, that he had in Cleveland. So to me, this is one of those things that, uh, yeah, I, I don't believe that he is in the Deshaun Watson class and you should be, you know, considering investing two, three, four um, early round selections to make this type of move. But if all it costs is a third round selection, then yeah, I absolutely would be uh, very much all in on, on perhaps bringing Baker Mayfield west to Seattle. And I would feel the same way with somebody like Matt Ryan because of the cost that's going to take to bring him in. Now, he would only have like an $8.25 million cap charge for whichever team acquires him, but he's going to be 37 years old. So he is not in his prime anymore. That's another player I'd be telling Atlanta, hey, you don't have leverage. You just traded for Deshaun Watson. You want to get rid of him. We'll give you a third, maybe even a fourth round pick. Let's move forward. We'll give him a chance to end his career here. Uh, you know, a stopgap guy. And then there's some other players out there that could make sense. Maybe Jameis Winston, if the Saints decide to trade for Deshaun Watson, then Winston's not going to be coming back. You wouldn't have to give up draft picks to sign him. So there are plenty of names out there, proven, experienced starters under center that could come in for the Seahawks. We're going to have to see how this plays out. The big domino here is what happens with Deshaun Watson. And I think once his new destination is figured out, once he knows where he's going, you're going to see a number of other quarterbacks that are going to be moving teams. The Seahawks could certainly be involved in that. Coming up next, we're going to be taking a look at the three free agents that the Seahawks signed on the first official day of free agency. Three outside signings coming in, two defensive players as well as an offensive lineman. Rob and I will be analyzing all these signings and handing out our respective grades when we return it's that time of year again as college basketball's tournament is finally upon us. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, BetOnline.net is the number one source for all of your sports betting needs and info. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting wagering informational needs, including live betting in your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online where the game starts. 
You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast on YouTube. We've got experts from all 32 teams dishing out their thoughts on free agent signings, trades, cap casualties, everything else. It's free and available streaming on YouTube five days a week. So make sure to check it out. The Seahawks made three signings yesterday on the first official day of free agency, their first outside signings. And Rob, I was actually pretty intrigued because all three of these players are under the age of 30. Two of them are under the age of 28. Actually, all three of these guys, I believe, are under the age of 28. And so it was a little bit of a change in how they have operated in free agency. We've seen them sign a lot of players that are 30 and up in free agency in recent years. And we also saw them hand out a multi-year contract to an intriguing young pass rusher. So a little bit of a change of the guard in terms of how the Seahawks are operating. They do have a bit more money to spend after trading Russell Wilson and cutting Bobby Wagner. That certainly helps. But these are three moves that I think certainly are going to have immediate, are going to immediately help this football team on both sides of the football Maybe one of them isn't necessarily for a starter, but we can discuss that as we go here. Let's start in the secondary. Artie Burns being the first signing that was announced yesterday. Former first-round pick out of Miami. Started his career at the Pittsburgh Steelers and really struggled in his four years in Pittsburgh. It just, for whatever reason, things just never got on track there. He gave up a bunch of touchdowns, didn't have many interceptions, passer rating above 100 in a couple of those seasons, almost 900 receiving yards allowed his rookie year. And they didn't re-sign him. Then he tears his ACL with the Chicago Bears in 2020. Comes back last year. And the final six games of the season with Sean Desai as the defensive coordinator played easily the best football of his career. Mostly out of the slot. Had five pass breakups. Only allowed one touchdown. This guy has all the physical tools you're looking for. 33 plus inch arms. Ran a 4-4-6-40 coming out of Miami. Plays a physical brand of football there's a reason the Seahawks have had interest in him a couple times. John Snyder said they almost signed him two years ago. This time around, they get him with Sean Desai now on their coaching staff, and those two get to continue working together. For that reason, I'm giving this a solid B. I don't know that he is going to be an automatic starter, but he is absolutely going to push Marquise Blair and Ugo Amadi for that slot position. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you just mentioned Marquise Blair because in some ways that's kind of who Artie Burns reminds me of is he has a track record, Corbin, going back to his college days at Miami of being a guy who flashes and then disappears and flashes and disappears. And uh, and again, that, that was kind of what he did in, in Pittsburgh as, as well as Chicago. So the, I really like the fact that uh, the Seattle only signed him for a one-year deal. Kind of keep that carrot in front of his nose and see if he is able uh, to continue the success that, as you mentioned, he had uh, playing under Sean Desai in Chicago. Um, I When I saw Artie Burns at, my, at the University of Miami, I saw a long-armed, physical, athletic, outside corner. Um, and then I saw him go to Pittsburgh, and they started playing a little bit more zone, and I didn't think that that matched up with his game quite as well. I think that he was doing a little bit too much thinking. Um, while the Pittsburgh Steelers have a terrific pass rush they have for a long, long time, at the same time, they would kind of leave their, their corners and their safeties out to dry a little bit. And while the, while the Steelers have had better safety play over the last couple of years with Micah Fitzpatrick coming over from the Miami Dolphins, it wasn't so good before. There were some of the plays that, that Burns gave up that I thought, frankly, was you know a little bit of a miscommunication between he and the safeties. You have to believe 
that Seattle's safeties are good enough that they are going to be able to protect their cornerbacks a little bit. You have to believe that Seattle's pass rush is going to be better this next this next season, 2022, than it was this past year. And a big part of that is the the sign or the yeah the sign they just made with Nuoso from the Chargers. I do think that this is a really intriguing sign because of the fact that he that uh, Burns checks so many of the boxes that Seattle has previously uh, subscribed to at the cornerback position. And again, just the experience that he has operate under Desai. That's the same reason why I like Seattle's other moves that they made on Wednesday as well. Yeah, and you mentioned Uchenna Nwosu, who signed yesterday a two-year, $20 million pact. He's going to have a pretty big cap hit in 2023, but under $7 million cap hit this year. This is a guy that I feel like is still ascending. He has not reached his prime yet. He's 25 years old. He had 40 quarterback pressures last year. Started 15 games. The first three years in the league, he was in the shadow of Melvin Ingram. Last year, he got to be unleashed a little bit. And at 6'2", 251 pounds, he is built to be able to play that Leo defensive end spot if you want to, but he also can play the Sam linebacker spot. He had an interception last year. He's got some coverage ability, super athletic, ran a 4.6540 coming out of USC. So this is a guy that I love the fit. If they're going to be running more of a 3-4 style, and that's what Nuosu told the Seahawks website attracted him to coming to Seattle, was the fact they're going to be leaning more towards a 3-4 system that is going to allow him to be able to show off that complete skill set. And he absolutely has the upside to be a double-digit sack guy. I am very intrigued to see what Clint Hurt and, of course, Sean Desai being involved with defensive game planning as well. What those two can do with Nuosu, a player, again, at 25 years of age, I feel like we have yet to see him touch his ceiling or even come close. This is a guy that still could end up being a Pro Bowl caliber player we saw some glimpses of that last year. Now he has a chance to maybe be the guy or develop into the guy in a multifaceted 3-4 hybrid defense. I 100% agree with you. Um, you know, I, I'm going to give this uh, this move a B as well, only because of the fact that it is for significantly more dollars. And we're talking about a two-year deal with $20 million. Um, You know, obviously that's a, that's a pretty big chunk of change there. But at the same time, I do believe that this is an ascending player, as you just mentioned, the fact that, that he basically had to play behind some pretty good football players uh, with the Chargers and Ingram and, of course, Joey Bosa. Um, you know, you just didn't have a, very many opportunities. But going back to his time at USC, I saw a guy who not only had speed, he had power. And, and Corbin, I've been kind of, you know, pounding the table. Like the Seahawks need to get some nasty guys. They need to get some junkyard dog kind of physical mean guys. Nuoso is that kind of physical mean player. He is going to bring a different level of aggression and physicality than, and frankly, we've seen in the linebacker position in a couple of years. Remember when Bobby Wagner was that kind of guy that he was the intimidating force in the middle? I mean, he obviously racked up a great deal of tackles um, over the you know, for his entire career, but he wasn't the physical intimidator. And obviously they play different positions. But the point is, is that Seattle has not had a guy on the edge or at that off-ball linebacker position who was just, you know, struck a little bit of fear into the hearts of some of the opponents. But Nuosu has that type of physicality. He also has the speed. He has experience dropping back. But what he is going to be paid to do is to be able to be a little bit of thunder and lightning type of approach at the edge rusher positions to complement Daryl Taylor's speed and bend off the edge. This guy is the kind of the club 
to go along with that speed and bend. So I really think that this is a really intriguing uh, uh, addition to Seattle and free agency. I do not, however, believe that necessarily rules out Seattle using that number nine overall selection or either of their top, uh, their, their second round picks on another edge rusher because this draft class is so loaded. And as we just saw with the Los Angeles Rams, if you want to compete, then you have to have multiple edge rushers, waves of them. But I do think that this is a really strong step forward for Seattle in terms of boosting their pass rush. Yeah, I'm actually going to give this deal an A- minus just because I love the fact that they are signing a player in his mid-20s that is just entering his prime, and they're signing him to a multi-year contract. No more of those one-year flyers. I just really like the aggressiveness of this deal, and it's a name that maybe not a lot of fans know about, but very productive, and I think that he is just scratching the surface in terms of the sacks and quarterback pressures that he's going to be able to rack up. I like the scheme fit a lot, so I'm going to go A-. minus. Now, the last signing that was announced yesterday is a player that we talked about a lot last offseason because – Center has been a position of need for a number of seasons for the Seahawks. And last year with Shane Waldron coming to town, Austin Blythe hit the free agent market. He started all 16 games at center for the Rams in 2020. His pass blocking was a bit suspect. He gave up four sacks that season, gave up almost 40 pressures on the year. So that was something that I was a little skeptical about. But he's a great run blocker, under 300 pounds but he's light on his feet. He is a great center for his own blocking scheme, hence playing for the Rams. So I saw that being a natural fit with his relationship already with Shane Waldron. Ended up going to Kansas City. Now, after only playing in four games and playing 12 offensive snaps a year ago, the Seahawks are going to bring him in this time around on a one-year deal worth $4 million. I mentioned this yesterday. I don't see this being a deal that necessarily guarantees that Blythe is going to be starting in week one. And I don't think it means that Ethan Posick isn't coming back either. But certainly you are bringing in a player that Shane Waldron and offensive line coach Andy Dickerson are familiar with that has the skill set that matches with the type of scheme they want to run, particularly in the run game. He did make some improvements in pass protection compared to his earlier seasons as a starter with the Rams. And last season, he just got put in a tough spot being hurt. Creed Humphrey ends up being the starter at center. It just didn't work out. I'm not as excited about it now as I would have been if they signed him last year. I'm going to give it a C plus just because $4 million for what could end up being a backup is still fairly pricey, but he does give you starting experience both at guard and center. And if he's the guy, I do like the scheme fit. So I'm going to go C plus. Not a bad deal, but kind of more of a wait and see approach where he fits in on that offensive line. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to sound like a little bit of a broken record here, Corbin, giving this another B. But I just thought that that was a very encouraging day from the Seahawks yesterday with, with some of the moves that they made. And I'm encouraged by this selection of or this uh, addition of Blythe as well. As you just talked about, I mean, again, it's the familiarity with, with Dickerson, um, you know, and, and Waldron. It's the fact the familiarity with the NFC West division as a whole. Um, the fact that, that he did play for a championship caliber team with the Kansas City Chiefs and, and understands the expectations, uh, I think that is key as well. For all of those Seahawks fans out there who are looking towards the draft and saying, why can't Seattle select Iowa center Tyler Linderbaum? You're basically getting that version of him here. Now, is he quite as good as Linderbaum? Of course not. That's why Linderbaum's going to go in the first round. And, and Blythe certainly did not. But at the same time, he does have that starting NFL experience. He is very familiar going up against Aaron Donald all those years in practice. I mean, that remains Aaron Donald, of course, remains public enemy number one from the Seattle perspective. 
Um, and, and then just the fact that, that he didn't start last year, it's the same thing we just talked about with Nuosu and the fact that he was just playing behind some really talented football players. I mean, Creed Humphrey was a terrific player. He should have been drafted, oh, I don't know, six, seven spots earlier than he wound up going in the second round a year ago. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that's the biggest thing is that people are going to criticize this move because of the fact that Blythe did not start last year for the Kansas City Chiefs. So rookie beat him out. Well, that rookie was a pro bowler and, and well-deserved. So I, I think that, again, this is a starting caliber center. May not be the starter. I agree with you. It could end up being Ethan Posick's job if he uh, opts to resign. Seattle could go the rookie route as well. There are some good centers in this draft class. But I think that you have to feel a little bit better about the center position. And I would argue that that was the biggest position of concern. Frankly, it's been that way for a couple of years now. Biggest area of concern in Seattle just got themselves one at a relatively decent price. The Seahawks have re-signed four of their own free agents, but they got a number of players that played for them in 2021 that still remain on the market. Rob and I are going to be taking a look at those players and ranking which ones should be the highest priority to re-sign at this point when we return. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models. It's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry you have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket why choose to spend 30 50 or even 100 percent more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership rock auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years their prices are reliably low for every customer and they have everything you could possibly need whether it's brake parts tail lamps motor oil or even new carpet Go to their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box, so that they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Up to this point, the Seahawks have re-signed four of their own free agents. First, it was Quandre Diggs getting a three-year, $40 million deal. They also agreed to terms with Sidney Jones, Al Woods, and Will Disley on contracts to bring them back for the 2022 season. But the Seahawks have a number of good players that played for them last year that are still available on the market. So, Rob, we're going to take a look at these players because there are a few of them now with the moves that have been made, signing outside free agents, the Russell Wilson trade. There certainly are some players that we thought might come back next year that now probably are not going to be returning because the Seahawks have made other moves to fill those position groups. But there are certainly some players that are still out there unsigned that it would behoove the Seahawks to re-sign. So it's time to rank those remaining free agents, our top five, the most pressing additions. For you, Rob, let's start from the bottom and work our way up at number five. Of the players still out there unsigned from Seattle's own free agents, who would be number five on your list for most important to bring back? I'm going to I kind of throw a curveball here, Corbin, and just mention the cornerback, Bless Austin. I mean, to me, that is still a position of, of huge concern. The fact that you did lose DJ Reed, you know, who was the, the best cornerback on your team a year ago. You brought back Sidney Jones, but, uh, you know, you, you sign Artie Burns. 
But still, I we, we know Seattle's track record of signing free agent cornerbacks has not always been very good. Um, and so I think that Bless Austin is a player to mention. Now, I think that Rasheem Green, the defensive lineman, is a better football player. I think that he should be a priority assigned. But as you mentioned, with, with Seattle making some of their moves, including the trade that landed Shelby Harris here uh, from the Denver Broncos, I don't know if there's a spot for Rasheem Green anymore for the Seahawks. So again, if you're asking me who I think the Seahawks should be prioritizing, I do think that a cornerback like Bless Austin, who has some experience in your scheme, plays a position that you have some concern on, is the higher priority. But the better football player, in my opinion, is Rasheem Green. I think he's ultimately going to wind up signing with somebody for a longer-term deal, more money as well. Yeah, I originally, before going into this show, had Rasheem Green at number five, but I'm actually going to go with Brandon Shell just because – the presence of Shelby Harris, along with the fact that you brought brought in Nuosu, and I think that the Seahawks could draft a pass rusher as well. I just don't know that the fit is there anymore for Rasheem Green to bring him back. It's not impossible that they could, but I actually think it's a better chance that Brandon Shell comes back just because if you don't bring in Trent Brown, he was supposed to have a visit today. Who knows if that has any traction? They're probably not going to be signing Lyle Collins, who right now is being linked to the Bengals after being cut by the Cowboys. Brandon Shell could easily be back. And so he would be number five on my list just because when he's been healthy, he has been a quality starter the last two years. At minimum, you have him and Jake Curhan battle in training camp and the best man wins. That is always the best situation for you. So I don't know that I would say that I'm going to predict he returns, but I definitely think that you know it would make some sense to bring him back. At number four for me, I'm going to the offensive line. And I just mentioned this with Austin Blythe. He gets a one-year deal with $4 million. To me, that is not necessarily starter money, especially when you're talking about a guy that has started games at both guard spots. He could be that sixth swing man for the Seahawks offensive line that they like to have around that can play center both guard positions in a pinch. I could see Ethan Posick coming back. He played really well the last six or seven games for Seattle. He was a big reason Rashad Penny had the final six games that he did. And I thought we saw more toughness and more physicality that we have ever seen from Ethan Posick in the run game. And I was encouraged by his improvements in pass protection. And I'm not going to say he's a top 10 center because he's not, but I did see some improvements once he got back in the starting lineup. I wouldn't give him more than a one-year deal because he has had injury issues. But Ethan Posick coming back, even with Austin Blythe being signed, let those two battle. I would be more comfortable with those two battling than when they went status quo and had Kyle Fuller being the one competing against Ethan Posick last year. And he didn't even really get to have a competition. Hopefully Posick and Blythe can duke it out. I think it would make a lot of sense for Ethan Posick to be back in a Seahawks uniform next year. No, I, I agree with you. Uh, you know, Posick was the player that I was kind of struggling with between he and Bless Austin. Um, I think that there's you made a lot of really good points there with how much better that Posick played down the stretch last season. At the same time, I'm going to go with Brandon Shell uh, as my number four uh, player here. Um, I am a big fan of what we saw from Jake Curran, but at the same time, it, we, we had zero expectations of him as an undrafted free agent. And now there is going to be an expectation as the incumbent starter that, that he is going to be playing at a, you know, at a high level and perhaps even taking a step forward in his second season in the NFL. And that is a little bit dangerous. I think it's fascinating that Seattle leaked the news that uh, the Trent Brown was you know, going to be coming into uh, Seattle to perhaps have a, a workout or an interview or a conversation at least because the fact that Trent Brown 
um, does have starting experience, both the right and left tackle positions. So I, I think that that is a little bit of a, a shot across the bow, both to um, to uh, Brandon Shell as well as to Dwayne Brown. That, that Seattle is kind of looking around a little bit out there. So I, I do think that, uh, again, right tackle to me is a very important position, um, especially considering the edge rushers that are in this division. I am excited about Jay Curran, but at the same time, I think that it would make a lot of sense for Seattle to bring back somebody. Shell, you know who he is. He obviously has the experience under Andy Dickerson as well, as you know, Shane Waldron as well. And so I think that that would make a lot of sense, even more so than, uh, than Ethan Posick, in my opinion. Looking at number three and number two for me, this was one that I was kind of torn on because you just mentioned Trent Brown can play left and right tackle. So I have considered that it's possible that maybe Seattle's looking at him as their left tackle for next season. I think he is much better at right tackle, but we don't know what the Seahawks are thinking. Nonetheless, for me, I've got to go with a quarterback at number three just because you don't have Russell Wilson I don't necessarily trust that Drew Locke can be the guy. I know that the Seahawks are complimentary of him yesterday, but again, I went back and watched more film today, and I I can't say too many positive things. There are some physical tools there, but nothing suggests to me that he can be the starter for the Seahawks in 2022, let alone being a long-term guy. So Geno Smith, I saw more from Geno Smith on film in the three starts that he had last year. He only had one pick through five touchdowns. He completed almost 70% of his passes. Yes, he took too many sacks. Yeah, there were some throws that he missed that he should have completed. But I thought Geno Smith played well in those three games. I would be more comfortable with a guy that already knows my scheme, that played games for me, that has the trust of players like Tyler Lockett and mostly DK Metcalf. Metcalf and him have a good relationship. And so this guy, and Geno Smith would never have been in my top five on this list if you had kept Russell Wilson, but now that Wilson's in Denver, he to me has got to be one of your big priorities to bring back, unless you're going to be trading for Baker Mayfield or Matt Ryan or somebody like that. If that's not the game plan, if you're not going to be aggressive going out and getting another veteran quarterback, you re-sign Geno Smith in a one-year deal. That doesn't stop you from drafting a quarterback next month either. You could have a three or four player competition, including Jacob Eason there, but I think you absolutely have to re-sign Geno Smith, given how well he played under pretty dire circumstances last year. Yeah, you you hit nail on the head there with the relationship that he already has with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. I mean, you know, remember DK Metcalf was at least that was the the buzz out there was that uh, that DK Metcalf was among the people who were kind of complaining that you know maybe Geno Smith should be starting when Russell Wilson was struggling coming back from his finger injury. Um, you know, that is one of the things that when I've watched Drew Locke in Denver, I did not see that trust between, between his receivers uh, and, and Drew Locke. Uh, he was not leading his receivers to safety. He was sometimes leading them into the safety. And, and so that's something that obviously he has to develop that rapport. Geno Smith can be that, that eyes on the sideline um, to help groom a young quarterback. You'd like to think that he has the maturity that you're expecting as well. And that, to me, is a huge part of this. We all know that he has some off-field issue uh, brewing, and so that's going to demand that, that Seattle pays very close attention to that. But at the same time, I do think that he is a quality quarterback, would absolutely be competing with Drew Locke, potentially to be Seattle's starter, because Locke is, as a young quarterback, in a completely new system, is bound to have some struggles here. 
while I remain very high on him, at the same time, I also feel pretty comfortable with what Geno Smith is. And you can at least compete with Geno Smith. So he is my number three player. Dwayne Brown quickly would be my number two player um, at that spot. But as I mentioned before, you know, if Seattle is interested in Trent Brown, then I wonder if that might be at the left tackle position, not just at right tackle. I personally think that Dwayne Brown is a much better fit in the zone blocking system that we're expecting Dickerson to use than Trent Brown, all 370 pounds of him. He's just not as fleet of foot. But still, I think that that creates a little bit more of a quandary for Seattle to kind of figure out the tackle position. Yeah, Dwayne Brown's number two for me. And I've talked about it a lot the last couple of weeks. We saw how well he played the end of the season. He's going to be 37, but I think that he's still got some juice in the tank. You've got Stone Forsyth waiting in the wings. I'd be more comfortable with those two as my left tackles than trusting Trent Brown, who has a bigger body, a much bigger body guy. I like him at the right tackle position. And first and foremost, I've got Rashad Penny at the top of my list because if you do add Trent Brown, you're adding a guy that can really move bodies off the line of scrimmage. Austin Blythe could be an upgrade potentially at the center position. You could still have Posick come back as well. You re-sign Dwayne Brown. You're going to have most of your line back from last year that played so well in the last five or six games. So why not bring the running back back that really capitalized on that blocking and hit a bunch of home runs? It doesn't look to me like there's a ton of interest out there because of his injury history. So take advantage of that. A one-year deal, three or $4 million, bring him back and hope you can keep him healthy because if you can, with that offensive line, especially adding Trent Brown potentially, I think there's a lot of potential for Rashad Penny to absolutely go off. And then maybe next offseason, he could go out and get a bigger contract, have more interest from other teams. Maybe the Seahawks will pay him more money as well. You want to get back to running the football, have elite talent in the backfield, and when healthy, Rashad Penny is just that. He is just that, and I agree with everything you just said, except I would like it to be a two-year deal with a club option for that second year. I think that you want to keep that carrot in front of Rashad Penny as much as possible, but I also want to protect the Seahawks a little bit. If he does explode, then you want to be able to, uh, you know, be able to keep him uh, under team control for as long as possible, but also be able to have a contract that is palatable. But I would 100% agree with you at this point. I think that Rashad Penny should be Seattle's top priority um, of, of their remaining free agents. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on our Friday episode, I'll be joined by Nick Lee. The two of us are going to be conducting dual mock drafts. Now that we're well into free agency, the Seahawks have made a number of moves. Two of us are going to be competing to come up with the best draft class for the Seahawks. Should be a fun episode. Hope you'll be tuning in. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Go Hawks.